Well, good morning. This morning, we are going to begin a new series in the book of Acts, looking at those early stories after resurrection, stories of the kind of community that is formed by the Holy Spirit. When people begin to tell others about this Jesus, who was not dead, but he was risen, right? So uh, this morning, we're going to begin this in Acts chapter 2. And so feel free to turn with me in your Bibles there or follow along in your order of worship. And I'll read Acts 2, verses 14, 22 through 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to that definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said, says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out all out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, this word that we have just read together, we ask that you would teach us its truth that you would meet us in the places we are, and this word would point us to the word who bears our flesh. Change us by his grace, we pray. Amen. 
Well, one of the things that has stayed with me about my son Benjamin's birth was how I felt that moment I got to see him for the first time. It's imprinted in me. Not just because it was a singular moment in my life, full of beauty, full of love, full, full of life, but in part, why I remember it so vividly, so completely, is because of how I felt in that moment. I remember feeling paralyzed in that moment, that, that it was like I was frozen, so overwhelmed with delight and wonder and love and responsibility <laughs> that I was suspended in that place. And I guess, I'm guessing that every one of us here today have been in moments where we have felt frozen or suspended because of beauty and grace, because your life is about to change. Or maybe it's on the other side, maybe because of loss of of a loved one or heartbreak, moments that, to, to borrow a line from our text this morning, cut to the heart. We have absolutely no idea what to do. Well, that suspended place is where scores and scores of people found themselves after they listened to Peter preach his first sermon on that day of Pentecost. They're cut to the heart. They had reached the end of their rope completely and unexpectedly. They had no idea what to do. So they do just, uh, so they just say it to Peter and the rest of the, 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 uh, the apostles. What should we do? Right? We need your help. We don't know where to go from here. And happily, they listened to Peter, and they did, many of them, what what they told them to do. And so we'll we'll come back to that in a a little bit, but it's good for us to to stay in this place, this frozen and cut to the heart place. And the reason that they are so cut up, so frozen, suspended in this place is because something else happened that morning. Before all the stuff began to take place. I mean, the thing that happened is the reason that Peter is preaching. And the people are wondering, what are we supposed to do? And that thing that happened, it is that the Spirit had come to the first Christians, and it was a sight, a sound, and one of the results was that pilgrims who were were there at Pentecost heard some of these Christians speak to them in their native tongues, languages that they should have otherwise not have known, And this was amazing. It was alarming and scary and strange to everyone. And like I said, some people wondered what it meant. Others brushed it off by saying that they had been drinking too much. And Peter, he dives headlong into this moment, and he tries his best to explain what it means. But in order to get the best sense of what Peter is proclaiming in this moment, we actually need to go back just a little bit. We need to go back almost two months before that day in the temple to the day in which Jesus is heading into Jerusalem before the final week, before his crucifixion. And if you remember, Pastor Chad, he told us about this moment from Luke 19 just, uh, just a few weeks ago. And so Jesus, he, he makes his way to Jerusalem, and just before he's about to enter the final week of his life, he stops. And Luke tells us he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. And in in his tears, he says, Would that you have known this day the things that make for peace, but you did not know the time of your visitation. 
it is this powerful, painful moment. Jesus knows the horror that is going to play out in that week, in that city. He knows that the horror is going to play out because the city collectively will, will be unable to or will refuse to recognize him for who he really is. They will, they will not recognize the day of their visitation. So Peter's sermon, it gets really, really simple. He says, dear, dear people of Jerusalem, I want to tell you who was here. I want to tell you what this visitation was about. Jesus of Nazareth was here. This man who was attested to you by God through mighty signs and works and wonders, that's who was here. (laughs) And then he delivers the gut punch, which they knew must have been coming. And you're the ones who gave him up. You're the ones who handed him over to be crucified at the hands of lawless men. You did that. And and then after the gut punch, Peter, he gives them the mystery. He says, I want you to know he is not dead. (laughs) And I know how crazy that sounds. I know how crazy it sounds. But here, but we're his witnesses and we have seen him alive. And this thing that you say happened here this morning, this sound, this sight, these languages, we want you to know it's him. He's doing this. He's not gone. He is with us by the power of the Spirit. And he's keeping all of God's promises. And, and you know, Luke, he says, they heard this and they were cut to the heart, paralyzed, suspended. They had no idea what to do. And moments like that, they demonstrate to them, they demonstrate to us that our lives are different, that we are different when the Holy Spirit leaves his mark on our hearts. I mean, even if we tried to resist, even if we felt scared or paralyzed in that moment, we know that we are new people who have seen and heard the mighty power of God over sin and death. And having their lives filled with the Spirit, with the Spirit who reigns over death, they ask the only only question that makes any sense, what do we do? (laughs) Well, and I hope it should be clear, at least more clear, why, why they had no idea. Because they saw their place in that story. They were the ones who had refused to see Jesus for who he was. They were the ones who had betrayed him into the hands of lawless men and delivered him into death. They are, like Peter puts it, this crooked generation. And I'm sure that this is what they think, right? What what kind of hope is there for people like us? If what you're saying is true, Peter, then what hope do we have in this world? What what should we do? (laughs) And of course, it's Peter who answers them. And I can't imagine anyone more qualified to answer that question in that moment. Right? It's Peter, the one who knows a thing or two about second chances. <laughs> the one who knows a thing or two about reaching for swords. The one who knows a thing or two about betraying someone over to lawless men. The one in that place who knows what it feels like to, ha- to think you have messed up so badly that there's no way out, there's no hope, and you just want to disappear. It's Peter who answers that question. The one who knows what it's like 
to be the object of the love and the grace of Jesus' forgiveness and the love and the grace of Jesus' restoration. Peter, the one who had been restored by his friend, and I wonder what it felt like for him to be able to tell somebody, to tell somebody about that for the very, very first time. Peter knew the kind of love and the forgiveness that cut deep to the heart. He knows what it's like to be frozen, to be paralyzed by that kind of love. He knows it, and it's exactly why he knows what question comes, comes next. What do I do with this? So what do I do? What should they do? Well, Peter has some really good news for them. They, they should repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, let me try to make this clear as I can. Peter is saying that the one that they had rejected, the one that they had handed over, has done the unthinkable for them. The one that they had rejected and betrayed has stepped in, and he has taken their place. He has taken the hit for their unfaithfulness. He has taken the hit in love for their betrayal. And because Jesus has done that, their rescue is at hand closer than they could ever have dreamed. To repent then is to turn away from the one way of living and to enter into another way of living. And that's Peter's invitation. Turn into the life that Jesus is graciously holding out in front of you. Reach a hold and grasp it with the hand of faith. Take his name in your baptism. And the results that will come, they will be unceasing. They will be unfathomable, but they will start with this. You'll be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift unseen at work in us already. The church, that's what it looks like when the first Christians began to tell other people what it means to be a Christian. It's beautiful. <laughs> Peter can't help himself. He somehow figures out in that moment, you know, that this is not just about me, that this is just about the people, or not just about the people in front of me, it's not just about this beautiful, great city that is broken. It's about the whole world. It's about everything being made new. So he says, this promise, it's for you, and it's for your children, it's for everyone who is far off, it's, it's for anyone whom God calls to himself. And of course, this is our place in the story. I don't know where all of you are with faith. I mean, I know you are in church, and that's something for sure. <laughs> but I know that it's possible for some of us here this morning for whom Jesus, uh, for whom Jesus and what he has done, it seems like, like furniture in our, in our lives. You know, the, it's there. We see it every day, but we don't really think a whole lot about it. He's never really been someone you thought about for you. And maybe that's because you appropriated Jesus through a friend, a spouse, a parent, a child, someone you care about. But maybe you haven't put much thought into who he is for you, into the meaning of his life, for the meaning of your life. And there are probably some here this morning who have doubts, real doubts. And there are probably some here this morning who have pain in our present or in our past that makes us want to push everything away. 
And I'm sure there are some of us here this morning who felt like those folks listening to Peter or who felt like Peter did, (laughs) sitting on regret that makes you feel shame, makes you feel guilt, something you've been trying to hide even from yourself and you just can't do it anymore. You feel like you have messed up so badly that there's no way out, that there is no hope and you just want to disappear. Well, if you're in any of those spots, or if you are in the many, many spots in between, I want, I want to make sure that you hear this and hear it clearly, that this promise, it's for you. The promise is for you. Your rescue is closer than you could ever imagine it could be. Reach out with a hand of faith. Grab hold of the one who has already stepped in and taken your place. Grab hold of the one who in love has been faithful where you have been unfaithful. Grab hold of the one who has taken all of your sin and mine and put it back, put it on his back and taken the hit for it so that we don't have to. (laughs) Be united to him in faith and, and listen that that promise is just as sure this morning as the day that Peter spoke it. You will be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit, the presence of Jesus himself working in you powerfully to heal and to restore and to grow you up into the person you were created to be. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I hope nothing, nothing will stand in your way of grabbing hold of Jesus by faith. So amazingly, Luke tells us that 3,000 of the people there listening to Peter, they do it, they repent, they are baptized, they take the name of Jesus, they grab hold of him by faith. And it's amazing to think that 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 morning there were about 120 Christians, and then that night there were over 3,000 Christians. And really quickly, quickly, really quickly, the question moves from what we should do to now you know, what do we do next? What, what's the next place? And what I mean is that their common life, it took a certain shape and that they cultivated habits that were particular to their life together. And this is where Luke, he goes next at the end of Acts chapter 2. Things have been moving so quick and he stops and he pauses and he says that this is what their life looked like now. He says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, the, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And many theologians, philosophers, uh, since this time have talked about how we move towards the things we love, that this is how humans are hardwired. And Jesus said it, he said it like this, where your treasure is, there your heart will, will be uh, as well. Humans are just like that. The things that we treasure, the things that we love are the things that our whole lives move towards. And then those things, they begin to shape us into the people that we become. And it is our habits that move us to the things that we love. And so that's what's going on with these first Christians, right? Their first love is this Jesus who has forgiven them and given them new life and given them a vocation in the world. That's their first love. And they figured out really quickly, really early on, that if they cultivated habits and and aimed them at that direction towards their love, 
they would more likely be able to stay faithful, stay to stay and true to that love. They figured it out quick. And they built this, that stuff into their lives so that they could stay faithful and true. So there were these four things that were the habit of their common life. And the text that says that they gave themselves over to the apostles' teaching. And our faith um, from the very beginning has, has been a faith that values learning, values exploration. Our faith has always been a faith that tries hard to think about what the gospel does to reframe everything in our lives. Our work, our relationships, what we think of, of justice, what we think of health, the culture around us, our own identities, how we use power, how we use strength. I mean, the gospel, it reframes all of that stuff. And that's not something that we learn just once and we're done with it. It's, like, it's not like we just read a paper and then, and then we're done. It, it's, it, it becomes the habit of our lives. Because it's not the habit of our lives. We very quickly slip into whatever prevailing narrative of the world that's on offer. I know that I don't need to tell you, but I will. But the, the, the stories that are on offer now are often dehumanizing. They're filled with rage and disunity, self-righteousness, right? They're often callous and casual about things that really matter to human beings. But like those first Christians, we have been given the true story of the world. So the growing and the learning together is necessary for flourishing in this Christian life. And so we pursue together that we, that, that we should approach life not as experts, but always as learners. That's why Pastor Chad and myself and Eric, it's why we get up each Sunday and we teach from the scriptures, right? It's why we have small groups and classes and in Bible studies and discipleship cohorts. That's why there, there are dozens and dozens of kids down the hall learning the true story of the world right now. <laughs> learning how much Jesus loves them and what he has done for them in the world. We proclaim and teach that stuff because it's the habit that keeps us trained towards Jesus and our vocation in this world. The first Christians also devoted themselves to what Luke calls the fellowship. At the heart of it, it means that they shared themselves with one another. They didn't primarily see themselves as individuals or particular families. They saw themselves as one big family. And that meant that they put that time with each other and that they gave to each other. Luke says they went to the temple together. They generously broke bread in each other's homes. They were together. They had all things in common. He said they, they sold their possessions so that if someone had a need, they, they could just cover that need. Their world, it was carved up. Human beings were divided up between the wealthy and the poor, the educated, the non-educated, the slave, the free. And it went on and on, and that world was carved up. And, and we are kidding ourselves if we don't think that the powers that be, they, they don't carve our world up just like that. Here, here were a people that transcended, gloriously transcended those boundaries, those divisions. When they live that way, just like when we live this way, we become a beautiful picture of what it means to have a God reconciling the 
whole world to himself in Jesus. And it meant that they didn't have to walk the life of faith alone. They would never have dreamed it. And friends, this is the, the people that we're called to be. When you see someone around here that you don't know, uh, and you work whatever courage needs to be worked up to say hello, to, to make space for them, to enter into their life, then you're devoting yourself to the fellowship. When you give up, when you give to the benevolence fund so that someone's financial need can be met, you're devoting yourself to the fellowship. When you, give, uh, uh, when you receive that gift, that money, that meal, that space to talk, when you receive it gladly from your brother or your sister, you're devoting yourself to the fellowship. This is how we do it. Those habits of generosity, those habits of self-giving trained the first Christians to aim their affection at Jesus, whose generosity of self-giving had given them life in the first place. And these are the habits that we need to cultivate too. The first Christians devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And the breaking of bread is Luke's way of talking about worship around the Lord's table. This meal that Jesus gave in which he is known to us again, which he nourishes us in our faith. And the first Christians, they just started gathering on the first day of the week in homes to worship and to pray, just like we are here the first day of the week to worship and to pray. And worship together was indispensable to them. They had decided that the time was going to be the time in which all other time in their life bent. And they did it. Because when they worshiped together, when they prayed together, they not only learned the story of the good news of Jesus, they were also able to begin to courageously and joyfully and tirelessly live out the story of the good news of Jesus when they were away from one another. And that's what this habit of worship, it does for us too. So again, I say, make this time be the time around which all other time in our life is bent. Teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread with prayer, these are the habits that the first Christians formed in order to keep their affections trained on Jesus. They figured this out early, and our mothers and fathers in the faith, they were wise. They knew that they weren't just going to, to back into faithfulness. They weren't just going to fall into faithfulness. And so they built their habits to keep their hearts aimed towards their first love. And church, let's learn from them as well. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would help us see and believe to know deep in the heart of who we are that at the base of our identity, we are a people who've been rescued. We are people who have been made new and forgiven and been forgiven and been given the, 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 the gift of the Spirit. We are people who have a new vocation in this world and help us to see and believe and to cultivate in our lives as individuals and as a church these habits that keep us trained towards our first love. Do this work for us as, as your church and also for the good of the broken world around us. We pray this in, in the name of Jesus. Amen.